0: i always depended on the kindness of
1: strangers. All right, so he's not a regular rat, or, or even a super rat. He's just a scared little mouse, that's all. Huh. I've had two years to grow claws, Mother. Jungle Ray. And welcome to The Real Woman, a podcast focused on all things cinematic. The topic of today's episode is female vampires of cinema. And I'm joined today by my guest, Dr. Victoria Amador. Hello, Victoria. Hey, Emmy. Victoria was an assistant professor of English at the American University of Sharjah until 2017 when she left to finish her biography of the Hollywood film legend Olivia de Havilland. She is a co-editor of South by Southeast, an online magazine focused on photography of the American South, and she's a member of the National Book Critics Circle. However, it is her scholarly research into vampire and gothic representations in British and American film and literature that we will be delving in today. Victoria, welcome.
0: Yes. Oh, gosh. Thank you, Emmy. <laughs> I hope I don't let you down.
1: Oh, no. uh, I sound fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Thank uh, you. Thank you. You too. <laughs> so, so let's get into it. We're we're okay. we're focusing on four films today that you yep. that you chose. Uh, the first one is Dracula's Daughter from 1936. Yeah. Which I had seen a long time ago, but I was so happy to rewatch it. Uh, the the next one is Vampire Lovers of 19, from nineteen seventy, which I had not seen, uh, and was I must say I quite enjoyed it. Uh, oh, I'm so glad it's, it's fantastic. It's so you know it's it's I mean it's it's awful in many ways, but it's somehow glorious in its awfulness in a, in some. You know, it somehow manages to be wonderful at the same time. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little bit of of personal insight
0: and reading into that to kind of, you know, maybe you'll go back and watch it again and see it in the same way I do.
1: Okay, okay. Um, the third <laughs> film is Only Lovers Left Alive from 2013, yep. which yeah. I actually happened to see. As it turned out, I saw it about a week before. You mentioned it. No I, it just, oh, that, it just awesome. happened to be on TV, and I thought, "Oh, oh let me check it out," because I know it was shot in Detroit. Yes, I know. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm doing this in Detroit, so it was wonderful to see, uh, you know, Detroit uh, on film. I, I just, we'll, we'll get into that, but that was that was a treat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the final film is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night from 2014, yes. which uh, I had not seen, but I had heard of it. And, yeah. and oh my, what a beautiful film that is. I mean, just visually beautiful. It's it's so beautiful. And to me, it's kind
0: of um of course, and already it's four years ago. But even with four years ago, it was kind of a, a real pinnacle in terms of women in the genre owning the genre, writing the genre, rewriting it and re-editing it and um, coming from uh, a Middle Eastern filmmaker. I think that's all just there's so much about it that's so fantastic.
1: Yes, and I, you know, and it's interesting because even though technically it's the most of the most contemporary of the films I found a lot of um, parallels, I guess you could say, between that and Dracula's daughter. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Fantastic. Great. Oh. You know, I, to begin yeah. with, they actually kind of look alike. That's interesting, and they—I hadn't
0: thought of that, but you're absolutely right because it's that dark, Eastern, Middle Eastern beauty. Yes, isn't it? and
1: and they're both in black and white. And they're both, and both of the the vampires in this, you know, uh, that's like this alabaster skin and dark hair, and they both, you know, don that black cape. Yes, uh, and they
0: they glide
1: beautifully, and they also both love music. Yes,
0: you know, yes. Uh, it, it's a that's it's a wonderful connection. It's like the great grandmother of. Of this film, or great, great at this point. <laughs> yes, I it really, it really is. It really is. Um, oh, I'm so glad. I'm, I'm glad that you you liked them all, and and that we're going to get a chance to talk about them.
1: Um, so let's start with the the great great grandmother, Dracula's daughter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. Can you sort of set the the context of the, the sort of the sure. time period of what what what's going on when this movie comes out? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, you know, Universal Pictures really still has the owns the rights to all of those great monsters that they introduced to cinema um starting in nineteen thirty one when they came out with Frankenstein and Dracula both. And <clears throat> from there, you know, there were other films as well as well, The Invisible Man, um i don't i don't I think it's RKO, but well, werewolf of London, so you know you've got the start uh, in in talkies in Hollywood of the Hollywood horror genre, and it's the the movies are so stylish and they're just they're just wonderful, all of them the mummy you know yes. with Boris Klaus, they're they're the art direction I think is brilliant the performance has become increasingly sophisticated. Um,
1: there's and they fabulous. become, a, and I think they become a little scarier. Oh gosh! Because Dracula scarier. is not. Rea- I mean, you know, scarier sort of, you know, relevant yeah. or you know, um, depending on obviously who's watching it. But but I think that you know, I, were, were, we're audiences jumping out of their their chairs at Frankenstein as much as they were with the Mummy. I think, you know,
0: well, the Frankenstein monster, actually, there's so much press around it, you know, nurses on call, people fainting, that sort of thing. Right. But remember, other than German Expressionism, um, the average Midwestern American audience member had never seen anything like that before.
2: Yeah.
0: So, so the idea of uh, of the monster... You know, you can think back to maybe when you were a kid. You kind of are giggling and yes. it's kind of spooky, and spooky, but you also, I mean, for me, at night, you know, I'd sleep with clutching a crucifix over my chest, <laughs>
2: just yes. in case. You
0: know? <laughs> so I think that audiences were not as sophisticated, and yeah. I think that, and it's a new genre. If you think about it this way, <clears throat> I think you could liken that period a bit to, Maybe the fact the the rise of the slasher film in the nineteen seventies, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where things you've never seen stuff like that before, and now right. you look at perhaps you're a bit like you know, Night of
1: the Living Dead is still creepy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely, definitely. And and you know, and so no, I was going to say ahead. I saw someone saw something the other day that said that. um because the new halloween movie had come out and was oh, re- yeah. they referred to the 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 first halloween as sort of the the you know i think they i can't remember if they said father or grandfather i want to say father of slasher films and yeah. i thought well then what does that make psycho cuz psycho uh, has got to uh, be the grandfather i mean that's the first time we're seeing it, you it know, definitely is and you know in terms of that kind
0: of vivid violence, what they're doing, though, what what Hitchcock is doing, is building on what you're seeing with Hammer films. Because remember, Christopher Lee, Horror of Dracula, 1958, first color Dracula. And so, so the first time we get to see blood, real, you know. And so Hitchcock picks up on that, goes back to his, you know, silent film influence. And we have them, though, in the 60s, like Kind of the American International horror, horror films, the Poe movies, the Roger Corman stuff, yes. Vincent Price stuff. It's great. Yeah. Um, but it's Hammer that's really starting to get more vivid. But you are absolutely right. It's one of the reasons too that Halloween's so important because it's Jamie Lee Curtis following on from her mother, exactly. and of course you, know, she acknowledges that in all of those films, but. Neither of those films would really exist, I think, if we didn't have somebody like Dracula's daughter, because if you think about it, that's only five years into the cycle, the universal horror cycle, and the fact that finally we've got a female monster opening the picture. Right. Um, She is the one who is in control. That's really pretty,
1: that's pretty significant, for the time right because when does bride of frankenstein come out Bride of frankenstein's 35 35 but she doesn't open it she ends it yeah well she opens it as mary shelley yes yes you know right she opens mary shelley and so she is she is the
0: author of it in in a way and so yeah so the following year it's like we've got the woman who creates a monster and then we've got a woman as monster. Yes. So it's kind of a neat kind of a neat parallel there, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, now um does how would so how does uh how does vampire lovers pick up where Dracula's daughter left off?
0: Well, it's, you know, of course it's a different film. Um Dracula's Daughter is very chic and is is, um, also very contemporary. If you think about it, it's talking about psychoanalysis in 1936. You know, that's pretty amazing. When when you get to Hammer, by the time Hammer comes along, horror films have sort of fallen out of fashion um, because, you know, you've got them in the 30s and in the 40s. But then in the 40s, film noir sort of takes over. From horror doesn't it
2: yes you know
0: yes and then it, in the 50s then you've got science fiction so those old-fashioned monsters aren't as scary somehow you know they're still kind of hanging around right. occasionally but they're not right perfect. so when hammer comes along with color film and does the british version of those universal films they discover a, a whole new audience and also, what if you got starting? You've got the 1960s starting, the the time that audience film audiences shift from families and from women to teenagers,
1: yes, right? Yes, yes. So, and you sort of see it's interesting because if you think I, I want to say 1958, like the very beginning of that, you have the Blob, which is definitely yeah. sci-fi, but it's sort of in a way. Has a has has sort of some of that monster movie DNA in it? Yep. And uh, it it kind of triggers. It kind of brings back. I mean, the genre never went away particularly. It just sort of know?
0: found itself
1: in yeah. other genres. Yes,
0: because I think it's fifty-seven that you get. I was a teenaged werewolf. Yeah. Right. Right. With right. Michael Landon. With Michael and, Landon. Yeah. I know. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the time the early '60s start on TV, you've got the Adams Family, you've got the cartoon Milton the Monster, you've got the monsters.
2: Mm-hmm. So there,
0: there is about a ten-year lull there in Hollywood where things aren't taking off. But once once Hammer starts back starts up again, Hollywood looks at that, um, and you know they follow suit. And so with Vampire Lovers, what you've got now is a return to the female monster who is not created by dracula or is not at the the service of the male monster you know that's why it's but there
1: is sort of a male yes the the, guy guy that you know, he's, like, he's sort of a Dracula type, but he doesn't do yep. anything. He just sort of stands off in the distance and watches, you know. and there are Yes, and there
0: are three films in that series. There's Lust for a Vampire as well, um, and the, the third one is Escaping Me right now. And he's sort of a character in all of them. And so to that extent, yes, he is definitely sort of a male power figure who seems to be, you know, ha-ha-ha, looking over all of it. Yeah. However, um, okay, so that's fine. So that's a good way to make your male audience feel comfortable. You know, hey, I'm really in control. Right. The rest of the whole movie is all about Ingrid Pitt, her mother, Ingrid Pitt, and then her controlling all of those young women. Because the film is a remake of the Sheridan Le Fanu novella from 1872, Carmilla.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. which has been filmed in many different guises in many different ways. For example, in 1960, Roger Vadim did Blood and Roses, which is a, a Carmilla version, you know. So it's been yeah. around a while. It, it also is the, the lesbian vampire, which is also something that we see in Dracula's Daughter, right?
1: Yes. You know, when
0: she seduces Lily. Um, and, you know, she doesn't kidnap... Um, Dr. Garth, the psychoan- psychoanalyst, she kidnaps his secretary. Yeah. And so then we, ha- so we have that
1: return to that sexuality. And that she doesn't try- want to be with him. She just wants him to help her. She's yeah. not, you know, she's like, stay with me, but it's not in a romantic situation. She, not at all. She just wants him to be her doctor.
0: Yeah, that's inter- yeah, That's exactly right. That's why I like these four films. Because they show us different types of female vampires finding different ways of being empowered um, within the context of, you know, the time that the film was being made, maybe in part the time the film is set. But So if you think about Vampire Lovers, it's 1970, it's the start or the revision of the feminist movement, Mm -hmm. and... And it's, you know, of course it's exploitation, it's sexploitation, but yes. Ingrid Pitt, who plays the role of Carmilla, was Hammer's major female
1: star. And when if, you say, you think, can you just give us a brief, because um, not everyone might know what Hammer is. Okay. Hammer Horror, Hammer Films was
0: a, a kind of a B-movie company that was started in England in the mid-1950s, I believe, and they got the brilliant idea of remaking the great universal Universal horror classics, but doing it in color, and, you know, cutting the dresses lower. Right. <laughs> so, and And kind of, remember, two drive-in movies are really popular in the United States, mm-hmm. so so this is also a good way
1: for for hammer films to break into the american market which they did and you know it's interesting it's sort of because when you think of english you don't you know i would almost be i would almost be less surprised if that was more an italian company you know I, you kind of I mean, think of the english as being a little bit more reserved sexually yes. and so that seemed, that seems almost more daring For an English company to do that? Oh,
0: I think that's a really good point you're making. Absolutely. I mean, there were Italian films and French films and that sort of thing that were being made on the continent, but you're absolutely right about the British. But here's the thing to remember. They've got the literary legacy. They've got Bram Stoker, right? Right. They've got Mary Shelley. Right. They've got um, H.G. Wells and The Invisible Man. Mm -hmm. So in a way... There's a kind of, um, there's a claiming, it's very interesting, too, what you're saying, because I remember in the 60s, there was a, a, a West End comedy called No Sex, Please, We're British. <laughs> yes. so, so it gives a, a really interesting kind of, kind of conundrum. It's kind of like the Carry On films in the 1960s in
2: mm-hmm. Britain. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Or, or Benny Hill, you know? Yes, yes. Of, like. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Know yeah. what I mean? Kind of puerile. Yes. So, so I think you make a good point. So, but I think between the the literary legacy and then the awareness that you've got an audience that's coming up, that for these kinds of movies, because also too remember, rock and roll is starting. Yes. So it, it's a very it's a really interesting time for young audiences. Uh, you know, both in Britain and in America. So by the time you get to 1970 Hammer's been making a lot of films you've got the feminist movement and here comes Ingrid Pitt and Ingrid made um this film for Hammer she also did um Countess Dracula which is the story of Elizabeth Báthory the notorious blood countess from Hungary who bathed in the blood of virgins and she is a real historical figure um Ingrid made The House That Dripped Blood for Amicus films And she also appears in that wonderful cult classic, *The Wicker Man*. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah, so Ingrid is the the horror star of that the early nineteen seventies. And so, yes, she is appearing nude. But um, I I got to know Ingrid. Um, I met her in Transylvania.
2: (laughs) Of course you did. Of course I
0: did, (laughs) darling. That is happy to be in Transylvania. For the Second World Dracula Congress, and the guest of honor was Ingrid Pitt, and God, she was she was absolutely lovely, and we talked and had some lovely, you know, Romanian plum brandy together, and got we stayed friends um, until she died in twenty ten, and she was she did not feel exploited at all. She felt good about her body. She felt that her role as Carmilla. And in the other film, she's an empowered woman. Yes. She's a very, she's, she is the one who is in control. And Ingrid was a, a good actress. So her, her vampires are not just mindless blood bags, you know. They're kind of like, like Gloria Holden. I mean,
1: yeah, no, I wanted to know more about I mean, her. I really did. I want, I thought I, I could watch a movie about this character. I mean, you know, delving more into her character. Absolutely, you know she's such a fascinating character. The movie is too short. You want another,
0: yes. thirty minutes uh, on her because she's poignant and she's elegant and 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 also fearless and
1: artistic. I mean, she's she's just really such a, a complex character. Um, I did and- I did think it was interesting. I I uh, I read something that said that she now maybe she said something to you about this, that she did not play the character as a lesbian, that she wasn't, didn't see it that way, that that was just, you know, she sort of played it more neutral, that she wasn't like thinking, oh, I'm a lesbian and I'm gonna, you know, that that wasn't the the focus of her, you know, acting. Well, exactly, because I think if it
0: had been, in some ways, given the, the time, in some ways, it might have been more exploitative. There is definitely, of course, there's the lesbian imagery and, and yes. the intimacy and the sexuality and all of that. But it's the same thing in the book, that Carmilla is seeking love. She is, she is also, she's a victim of this curse that she bears, which gives her a kind of sympathy. And she is looking for an intimacy,
1: and she, uh, but at least in the movie, she's not looking for it with men, though. I mean, she very no. clearly says, you know, when that girl is sort of dreaming about uh, uh, her, you know, her young suitor, that that she's, you know, very much turned off by that. You know, she, yeah, she's not. she's not interested in in, in men, clearly. She's not interested in them at
0: all, though remember when she does kill the one guy yes. uh, the servant. Um and she, she uses her sexuality there, but she is just she's not interested in any of them. What she is interested in it always seems to me she wants she wants love, she wants a partner. Yes. Um, she wants someone to be with and and that is a female. And um it's like like i was saying before i think that clearly the lesbian sexuality is there and at the same time it is not it's not the point
1: you right. know right
0: it's not the point it's it's part of it's part of her love story and in that respect it's very sophisticated i think in a very very modern way of looking at it i mean the film is almost 50 years old yeah and so you know um and i and ingrid again was she was a very smart actress, and she knew the tradition she was working in, and um, she, uh, you know, she also knew who Hammer horror films were. You know, she she had a very clear eye on what she was doing and what her career was, and so I think that that film, again, it is what it is. You know. Uh,
1: but and when I said awful I didn't really mean that in a little no, you I know I I meant that really more as a you know it's it's there's a campiness to it Oh of course there's a campiness oh, yeah. to it and there's a and there's a you know there's sort of a a a a what like a luxuriousness to it that's that's not you know it, how I sort of, I don't want to say fake, but sort of put on, you know. Oh, no,
0: it's of its time. It's kind of like, you know, um, it's, it's made in 1970, so the girls are wearing Ampere um, dresses. Well, yes. that was really popular in 1969 and seventy. Oh, I loved
1: their dresses. They've eyelashes,
0: they've got the, you know, the... The combed back hair—it's fabulous. Yes, yes, yes,
1: and the pendants and the pendants as well—the the the jewelry. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know. It's I, it's just great, you know, in the close-ups of the
0: girls screaming with their perfect teeth and all yes. of that. I mean, and and then lots of topless nubile girls, without a doubt. You know, I mean, we're you can't ignore any of that, and you have to kind of just kind of roll with it, enjoy it, but. With, above all of that, you've got, again, you've got a female vampire. Peter Cushing was the name,
2: you know. Right. Of, right.
0: But you've got a, a, an actress and a female vampire opening the film. It's like the, the press that Jamie Lee Curtis has been getting right now, you know, for Halloween. Right. And by the way, last week when I was I gave a keynote at another International Dracula Congress in Transylvania, in Brazov, And the Dracula Film Festival was running And <laughs> the opening night film was Halloween It's amazing So I get to see Halloween in Transylvania in October Come Oh,
1: that's, that's, yeah, it doesn't get much better so than cool. that
0: But, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis it, It's had, like, the second biggest horror film opening Or, or biggest horror film opening ever Second biggest October opening uh, 55-year-old-plus woman opening a film so, in a way, we have to then look back at those films, like Dracula's Daughter and Vampire Lovers, and say, they made it possible. Yeah. You know, they make all of that possible. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, the, the thing like, I remember 20, 30 years ago, people writing essays, can women be funny? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> really? Yes.
2: <laughs> and, yeah.
0: and
1: can women be scary, and can women open a horror film? Yes. Well, and and I'm, and I can't, you know, oh, his name is escaping me, Um, but the uh, some Hollywood guy, and I, I wish I could pull his name forward. He just came out saying, you know, there aren't enough, there aren't any female horror directors it was like he couldn't he'd maybe asked two and they couldn't they couldn't do it and so he basically decided there are not enough women in hollywood who can direct a horror film and it's like really i mean in 2018 we're still talking about women can't dot 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 you know i I know oh gosh it's it's one of the
0: many frustrations and and but the only thing I can say is I think we're all just so incredibly, incredibly tired and angry about it and set up that, you know, all of the last guests that we're seeing in our culture and in our politics and from guys like that, I hope these are the last guests. I hope that within the next five to ten years, just all of this has to stop. It has to stop. Yeah, And the opportunities have to come forward. And that's why, you know, because the new Halloween film, it's Halloween, you know?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. You know what's going to happen.
2: Yeah,
0: Um, yeah. But it's got a distinctly feminist tone to it, I have to say. And and again, it's the fact that it's being remade. This is like the 11th film Mm -hmm, in the series. mm Mm-hmm. That says a lot to me also about not only Michael Myers, but the power of women in horror. And um, because if you think about it, you know, back when, when Gothic literature starts, it, it's given its jump with Horace Walpole in 1764. But immediately after that, you've got Anne Radcliffe, and you've got all of these other women writing these things. You've got you know, Jane Austen writing Northanger Abbey mm-hmm. in 18. 18- and doing a pastiche of it. So women have been at the forefront of And Jane horror. Eyre,
1: you know, Jane and, Eyre oh, certainly yeah. is a, has a ghost story element to it and zombie-like, you know. Oh, it and was, turned, was And it was turned into a horror film. Yes, absolutely. I Walked absolutely. With a Zombie is, you know, the Val Lewton film, I Walked With a Zombie is one of my favorite Val Lewtons.
0: Oh, I love Val Luton. absolutely. Though I, I love Cat People. Yes. And Curse the Cat People, too. Yes. But yes I, yes, I mean, so the, the, the role of women in the Gothic and in Gothic cinema, we just need to step forward more.
2: <clears throat> I
0: think, well, we need to do that in every single way, and it's hard to do that. That's why when you've got two films like Only Lovers Left Alive and then you get, well, A, a Girl Walks Home Alone at Night,
1: independent film. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's interesting that those two films, out of these four at least, the, uh, the vampires survive. Yeah, oh yes, absolutely. You know, I think that's important, you know, in the first two they, they don't, um, but, yep. but, you know, Only Lovers Left Alive, man, Tilda Swinton just looks like a vampire, doesn't she? Oh, God. oh. If
0: you, Anybody's going to portray some sort of supernatural or alien life form—it's Tilda Swinton. It really is. Um, and I think it's the best thing Tom Hiddleston's ever done. You know, oh, I he was him. I didn't
1: even recognize him actually at first. Yeah. He, <laughs> that's I, how good he was. That's how good he was. Uh, you know, really. And her, her sister Mia Wasikowska, you yes. know that little brat, yes. dreadful little vampire. She California. was so, she was sort of. I thought she was sort of a throwback to the vampire lovers of nineteen seventy. Oh, in a way, yes. I yes. In a way, she is, isn't she? Yeah,
0: because she's not evolved. She's not sophisticated. As much as she might be,
1: she does the Uh, low cut. She's definitely more of the 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 sexploitative side of you know.
0: Yes. Oh, definitely. And she's she's sort of a comic figure too. Yes. She's so annoying that you know you sort of. She's kind of like a club girl, isn't she? Yes.
1: Yes. And but I loved the whole sort of familial side of like even vampires have annoying sisters have annoying little sisters and sibling problems i I mean this isn't you know just an issue for us mere mortals that even even the undead have to deal with bratty siblings yes or misunderstood younger siblings like some of us growing up absolutely. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was I was an only ch- I'm an only child so I didn't have these issues. But <laughs> but I thought it was very interesting to it made it, you know, it, it made it very relatable. I thought it did too and I also thought that on the one hand
0: it's a bit of a cliche to set it in Detroit, you know, that that dark, doom and gloom image of Detroit that certainly, like your wonderful book, uh, is kind of re- reinvigorating or re-envisioning. Re- but on the other hand, I also thought it was really interesting. He's a musician. Yes. Where else would he be? Right, so right, right. Where else would he be? Maybe Nashville, maybe Memphis. He could have been in New Orleans. You know, but, but he's
1: in Detroit. And, but, and his and, music is sort of techno- Influence, which you know, techno's totally Detroit. Um, yeah, which is gorgeous, and 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 that she,
0: I love it when when he needs her. Again, you've got the empowered female vampire figure who yes. is taking care of her her aging, dying friend in Morocco, John Hurt. Yes,
1: are and, they in Morocco? They're in Tangiers.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's ten years, and um, you know. So she's looking after him.
1: She's looking after her partner. What does she get? She she books all the flights. Yes, you know? yes. And, <laughs> I, and I wonder, has their marriage lasted all of these centuries? Because they don't live together. <laughs> Possibly, you know. I think you know, it's a very sophisticated. I I
0: love the template for that relationship. Yeah, you know. I think it's brilliant that they're each off doing their own thing, and then they come back together. And I
1: and I uh, loved that she was in All White, because that's so the opposite of what you think of when you think of a vampire.
0: Yes, absolutely. That she's sort of acclimated to her desert life. Yes. You know, it makes her kind of a, some sort of a, I don't know, mysterious eastern goddess or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and and again, it's the practicalities of flying at night. Um, her taking care of, of this depressive musician, <laughs> yes. and when when she goes to see him, what does she pack? Books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's and from the soundtrack to the the uh, exteriors to the interiors, it's just. I think it's a very witty film that's really very much about sustaining a long-term
1: relationship. It really is. And I thought, you know, getting back briefly to the to it being in Detroit, I thought definitely what you're saying that is sort of, you know, Detroit has the sort of, at least in the minds of people who don't live here, this sort of idea of it being decrepit and dark and gloomy and depressing. And so, of course, a, a vampire would live here. But... But then she gives that wonderful monologue about how, you know, when the waters rise, everyone's going to come to Detroit. That Detroit is going <coughs> to be the, the place of, you know, uh, uh, rebirth. Uh, and so it was sort of, it, it was very, I, th- I just thought it was very lovely. It was sort of a little, a little love letter to Detroit in terms of, you know, this, it may be like this right now, but you know it's gonna it's gonna come back
0: exactly it's a it's that notion of rebirth reincarnation um reinvention yes it, it, it's lovely to use the vampire metaphor as a metaphor for detroit yeah so you
1: know? yeah, yeah, um and I thought you know it's interesting, I was trying to think of similarities between all of these movies. And and I came to sort of there's sort of basic vampire traits, one of them being although Dracula's daughter actually kind of doesn't follow this, but in um, they all they always wear the same outfit. Yes. They aren't they aren't they don't have a wide wardrobe <laughs> vampires. <laughs> but they seem to have endless amounts of money. Yeah. And I, oh, yes, I that's, well, course, was sort of in the back of my mind of where are they getting all of this money? Well, if you think about it,
0: um, there, it's pretty easy to go, you know, turn into a bat and fly into a window at night and fly out with a, a diamond necklace or, you know, yeah. rip out a throat and steal stuff. I, I, they have money, yes, for, like, guitars, you yes. know. Uh, but on the other hand... Uh, and and in terms of wardrobe, one of the things, for example, that I loved about uh, the, f- the first two films, I love Gloria Holden's wardrobe. Um, it's designed by someone named Kellogg, I think. Um, it's so chic. Yes. It's so 1930s. She's just elegant. Um, the stuff that Ingrid Pitt is wearing, you know, all of this sort of hippie 60s um, nymphette kind of stuff. Yes. Those,
1: those those are fabulous too. Yeah, no, they really are. Um, I think it's yeah. interesting how each movie sort of offers its own little um, ingredient to the to the vampire, to what makes a vampire a vampire. They all they all have to be invited in. Yes, well, that's right. And even uh- in, even by other vampires. Isn't that interesting? Because it's almost like, in a way,
0: it's sort of a metaphor for all sorts of things, that you have to be open to the possibility of darkness, of, you know, and of course, evil. But also, in in many of the novels, or or, or these depictions, you have to be open to being vulnerable. Yes. Whether you are the predator or you are the, the victim. You have to be open to the subconscious. That's what the Gothic has always been. The Gothic has always been offered a variety of tropes. You know, whether it's the, you know only going out at night or big old scary houses and castles and you know yeah. all of that stuff, which we love, even if it's you know a dark street in Iran where it's still there's no light.
2: Yeah, all
0: of these tropes they they provide that that language, you know, that um, sort of si- the signifiers of a variety of issues, ideas, emotions, uh, life experiences, preferences, that
1: to discuss. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think that's it's very interesting. And uh, so moving on to A Girl uh, Walks Home Alone at yeah. Night, she... Um, I thought it was very interesting. Like I said, I thought she sort of has a similar look to the woman in Dragula's Daughter, but she also looks a lot like the director.
0: Yes, she does, doesn't
1: she? Yeah, and and I thought that was very interesting. I wondered if that was, you know, I'm assuming that was an intentional choice. It might be an intentional
0: choice, or it might just be that, you know, as Iranian actress, filmmaker, you know, um, when people come from a certain part of the world, you know, you're going to have dark hair, you're going to have dark eyes, yeah. you know, a, a certain look about you. So mm. there might indeed be some sort of autobiography there. But I think what's so interesting about it is that it is uh, a film that really allows for... For political commentary, yes, um, and and also talk shows too. How how the outsider or how the individual functions within a society, uh, which is either closed to them or broken in some way. Yeah, you know, um, and that's one of the things that I think is so empowering. About that film, that she is, you know, outwardly, of course, she's wearing the hijab, as she must. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when she comes home, she's this punk, you know,
1: almost kind of like a
0: steampunk kind of
1: girl. Yes, and I loved the, um, I thought it was very interesting that, you know, she didn't have, like, the clash or the sex pistols up on her walls. She had Madonna. (laughs) And, Isn't that amazing? And, and Michael Jackson's Thriller, of course. Oh, which is so witty, and it's yes. so referential Yes, yes. Um, and the Bee Gees. I mean, she had very, like, pop, you know, yeah. mainstream music. She's it, Which I absolutely love about that.
0: And at the same time, here she is. And, and too, you know, with that striped shirt she
1: wears inside, it's kind of like the Madonna video, "Papa Don't Preach." Yes, yes, it definitely you know? is. I thought of that, and I thought of, you know, it also. It's well, it kind of looks like the like the Coco Chanel boat shirt. Oh yeah. Yeah, very much. That's oh god, that's right. That's true.
0: She's. It's interesting. She has no money. She's on her own. You know, she's kind of living like a student would live. Yeah. Except she's living in this isolated, peculiar, strange vortex. And I think it's, it's, it's also a real tribute to, you know, to say that even in these countries, if, including our own, where there is confusion and upset and limitation and constriction, you're going to find people who are finding a way to express themselves, and who also maintain a kind of innocence. You know, Bee Gees, Madonna, and Michael Jackson, it doesn't get more innocent than that, yes. in a way. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, yeah.
0: with um, even Madonna, and I'm sure she would hate that, but there's a kind of innocence in that sort of sexploitation stuff that she made popular.
1: Well, certainly, 95. yeah, certainly... You know, because she because she has she doesn't have, you know, like a prayer up there. She has Madonna's first album. Yeah. So when she really was, you know, if if Madonna was innocent, that was certainly when it was. You know. Well, and very and sort of fresh. You know, when you think about it too.
0: Um at the time though, if they were all trendsetters, you know, if you think about the Bee Gees, I mean, I was listening to them in the '60s, and when I was in college, when um, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack came out, double album. Mm-hmm. I mean, you did a party for two years that it wasn't on the turntable, <laughs> um, and of course, then Thriller in the '80s. So there is also that. It's also kind of by by using those figures, we're also seeing the the the, the girl, as she's called kind of at, at the beginning of her own career, yes, her own life, her own self-definition. What's she going to do with that? Um, how
1: will she control that? How will she express that, especially in that particular culture? Yeah, and, I, and I, I do think it's, imp- it's important to note that it's an Iranian film not filmed in Iran. Yes, it's, I know. It's filmed in L.A. Yes. Yeah. Though it looks, though it looks, which may say more about LA than (laughs) LA, it looks like a war zone. It does, Um, um, and and it is, and
0: it's it's very interesting because it also sort of then makes that kind of comment too about how the the vampire has always been intercontinental, right? Transnational. So you have a transnational uh, female filmmaker making a statement about some, because you're not sure where it's set. You don't really know. Right. But it's in some sort of war zone. It's someplace where it's not safe to be. And it's some place that it's not safe for a girl to be at night.
2: Right, right.
0: And yet, there she is. She is facilitating it. She's maneuvering it. She's got agency. Um, And I have to say, I
1: loved the the character of the the prostitute. Oh, isn't she? She's wonderful, and she definitely has agency as well, and she's definitely, you know, um, because when they, she's like the first person who accepts her as she is. Yes,
0: yep. She's she's such a fantastic and older
1: too. Yes, and that's significant too. That we've we've also got.
2: Uh, I mean, she's
1: also, she's thirty, so you know she's not. We <laughs> she's not old by any means, but she's certainly older no? than that girl. That girl's got it probably twenty two. Yeah, or who knows? We who have knows? no idea.
0: Terminate indeterminate age, but we're seeing again in that society no matter what age no matter what you're doing You are vulnerable. Yeah, and what you're trying to do is not just survive I mean survival is paramount, but even within that there's a desire for self-expression and creativity
1: Yes, yes and I, I think that
0: you know because when you think about like vampire clubs I don't know if if it's as popular now, but it certainly was. Like, I mean, it kind of comes and goes, but it certainly in the late nineties, the, the whole underground vampire club scene was very interesting, or Vampire the Masquerade, the yes. uh, game my students were playing, and and um, again, this notion of being able to to identify you, in a fluid way, your gender, your sexuality your preference, your style, um, and that 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 gothic vampire space still provides some kind of strange comfort and family for the outsider, you know? Yeah. No matter where you're from, no matter, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I'd... it also crosses race, too, which I think is interesting as well. Yes. Yes. You know? Oh. It, it's not only owned by you know old white guys from Europe, right? Uh, there's, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, and I and I think it's interesting, um, you know, sort of in terms of the the tropes that are either continued or, or, or dropped by the wayside. There were no um, there are no coffins. I didn't see it in the, in the contemporary films. They don't sleep in a coffin. No. No, they don't, which is very interesting
0: as well. Uh, it's because, again, they're, not, they're no longer as confined as they were once upon a time. Even with Dracula's daughter, I mean, yes, and, and Carmilla as well, you've got the tomb or the coffin or something like that. But even there, you've got more interesting interiors, more elegant you know, yeah. in some ways, it's kind of playing on a feminine kind of of stereotype of oh, I love to homemake. You yes, know,
2: yes, so
0: I'm, I'm not going to sleep in that dusty box in that co- in that basement. Are you kidding me? Exactly. Um, exactly. Sorry,
2: exactly, not happening.
0: Yes, but, yes. So, but so it's 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 another. I think that's a really good point you make, Emmy. That it's another. Way of the female, uh, uh, that cinematic female vampire saying I'm just not going to be bound. I'm going to play within the conventions or the limitations or conventions of of this particular story. How can I I spread my bat wings and fly?
1: Yes, (laughs) yes. I do, I would say, (laughs) if if I could have had, I wanted a sequel to a girl walks home at night because I alone at night because I wanted to see how does how does she and and that boy yeah. what is their life like because he clearly by the end knows who she is or what yes, she, she is he knows what she is and and decides to accept it and and it's the first movie that I know of maybe there are others. But it's the first one I know of where where a vampire, male or female, is in a relationship with someone who is not a vampire and who they don't want to turn into a vampire. Well, remember
0: the movie Let the Right One In? Yes. Now, again, they're kids, but at the end of that film, um, Ellie is in her little trunk, and she's got the young boy, Oscar, yes. who is going to be taking care of her, you know, and... And again, so it's also about redefining the relationships that women have with men or with the world, yeah. it's, which is so exciting. And I, I think that's, you know, one of the things that's so annoying. Um, again, Jamie Lee Curtis gave an interview, I don't know if you saw it in New York Magazine a couple weeks ago, and she was saying, you know, why is it that horror is illegitimate? That you know, if you make it in horror, then it doesn't count," she said. um, In all of the horror films that I've made, I'm art, I'm attractive, I'm powerful, I'm intelligent, I'm chaste. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just such an amazing character, and I think that that's you know. So I think that horror has tremendous offers tremendous potential to female filmmakers. You know. Yes,
1: the, the, although there are apparently only two of them. Yeah, <laughs> But those, if those two gals so can... Those two gals get can really kitchen, do it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Put that lipstick down, gal, and yes, pick up a yes. camera.
0: It'll all be good. Yeah, you
1: know, I, I will say, there was something in Dracula's Daughter that made me chuckle, where he... Um, the 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 doctor goes to see, uh, uh Dracula's daughter, uh, yeah. and 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 it was like his clue was, when he said when he notices that she doesn't have any mirrors, and he's like, okay. and he's like I don't know any woman who doesn't have twenty mirrors in her, in her house, and uh, I, uh, I, uh, wink wink nudge nudge. Yeah, yeah I mean, and I um, thought you know, um. I've been in men's apartments where there were quite a few mirrors as well. I don't know yes. that mirrors are the uh, exclusive domain of women, but uh, okay. <laughs> it's well, you know that that's the thing about so many of the films
0: that you had to throw in some sort of wit, or something, I guess you know, like the the rather lame love story that that runs underneath it because when you think about it if they had really made the film about her and dr garth and her art can you imagine what a classic that would have been yeah but it was the hollywood you know with hollywood if so you were talking about you'd love to see a, a sequel i'd love to see dracula's daughter remade um and really maybe have somebody do something more with it. And maybe see a woman
1: direct it. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Or write it, even. (laughs) Or write it, yes. Yes, (laughs) it would be, I think it would be wonderful. And I think, you know, those are the types of movies that need to be remade. Like, you know, not that it's it's completely tangential, but Spielberg doesn't need to remake West Side Story. Like, Uh, that's a classic. It doesn't need... What is he, is he going to improve it in some way? I don't think so. Yeah, um, there's, you know, there's no way to improve that. It's yeah. wonderful. I, and I've always said, why don't you remake bad movies and make them better? I know. And not that <laughs> Dracula's Daughter is bad, but there are definitely things in it that, you know, if contemporized, I think would be, particularly in our, you know, Hashtag Me Too movement, it, for that movie to be remade um, with more women at the helm, I think would definitely improve it. I
0: agree with you completely. I mean, why do we have to hash out all of this, oh, this stuff that's, if it's good, leave it alone. If it didn't work, then redo it. Or if it's been forgotten and it needs to be brought back, like Suspiria. Yes. I haven't the new one. I didn't really mind the idea of it being remade. It was 40 years later. Yeah. But I'll have to see it before I can really pass judgment on it, because I think, I thought the first one was wonderful, so leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, Dad, yeah, maybe make a good Carmilla. Or here's an idea, make a really good Dracula. You know? Yeah. I know that Mark Gaddis and his co-writing partner, you know, they oh, yeah, share David, a lot David Moffat, yes. Yes. They're yes. working on something, and I don't know what it will be, you know, and I'm sure whatever it is, it'll be clever. But I, how about really, really making, make the book. If Dracula's that important, make the book. And and it's kind of like, you know, I remember after Bram Stoker's Dracula, then Kenneth Branagh did Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. That's like, yes. no. Yes. And It was so dreadful. Oh my god, that camera never stood still. It was like, okay, Ken, you're an action star, fabulous. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: um it just they people don't seem to know how to really approach literature and adapt it unless it's for BBC television. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I'd really love to see so like you said, I'd love to see some of these that film, Dracula's Daughter, I would love to see that expanded upon or taken in a new direction. You know, Netflix is doing The Haunting of Hill House now. Yeah. Um, it, it, there's a lot of good writing out there by women. Um, you know, like, this is also not vampiric, but I'd like to see a really good film version of Tate Chopin's The Awakening. You mm-hmm, know, no mm-hmm. tempted it since... Grand Isle, um, you know, Kelly McGillis tried it yeah. almost 30 years ago. Let's,
1: I'd like to let's, see, you know, I, I think it would be interesting to see an actual, a really good um, version of Weathering Heights that's done as a horror film, because it would not be hard to make that into a horror film.
0: I know, I think that's an excellent idea. There are so many different versions of it that have been done. You know, and a lot of them have been very interesting. Uh, the the recent one with um, um, Tom Hardy Heathcliff actually being, yeah, yeah. Or, no, after no, after Tom Hardy, where oh, okay. Heathcliff is actually actually um, African British.
1: Yes, and yes. it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's a hey, ghost story. <laughs> it's it's a ghost story at its core. Well, and I to think... use, to again plumb the,
0: use all of these wonderful ghost stories written by women. I mean, let's just, let's take charge. Let's, let's get out there and make these. Like, yes. you know what I think would be great would be like, like there's so many wonderful Uh, ghost stories and vampire stories written by women going back, you know, the last couple hundred years, or at least 150, wouldn't it be great to do another American short story series, or not even limited to American, but to do a a horror television series based on writing by women? Like a Tales from the Crypt type of thing? (laughs) Exactly, absolutely. Yeah. there's just so much great stuff out there, but it's it's women doing it, women producing it, women adapting it, women acting, directing, you know, and guys too, yes, of course, yes. you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. you, don't, you don't win by behaving badly, yeah. but, you know, but really something where we take advantage of, of so many different traditions um that 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 our woman produced. And I don't want to be limited like that. I mean it's not women's studies anymore, it's gender studies. I get that. But we really need visibility. I always remember you remember the, the film Celluloid Closet oh, the yes. document? Oh yes. And they interviewed Harvey Firestein, and they were talking to him about the character of the Susie in, you know, Hollywood films and he said you know, he's like, I kind of like the sissy because I kind of am. And then he said, and visibility at any cost. And I wouldn't, uh, that has always stayed with me because I thought, yeah, this helps, you know. Yeah. It reminds people you're there. So the only way we can do that is by somehow being able to make these films. So
1: counting on you, honey. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I right. Well, with, and, and I will certainly be here to talk about them. Okay. <laughs> um, well, with that, I want to thank you for a absolutely fascinating and wonderful discussion about oh. uh, fam- uh, female vampires in cinema, and uh, uh, you know I hope uh, you'll you'll be interested in talking to me again in the future about another topic. Oh. I'd love to
0: do that, Emmy. That would be fantastic. And I just think it's great you're doing this.
1: Uh, Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. uh, And uh, I'm just going to say signing off. And uh, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode on female vampires in cinema with my guest, Dr. Victoria Amador. And I look forward to talking about more vampires in the future. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> thank you and have a good evening bye bye dear thank you for listening to the real woman podcast please join me next time when my guest will be congresswoman rashida talib and we will be discussing politics and film focusing on michael moore's most recent film fahrenheit 119 thank you and good evening